Paul addresses issues, well, he clarifies, really, verses 5 and 6. So verses 7 through 25 are used as a clarification of what he means in verses 5 and 6. Then, in chapter 8, he's going to return to the the subject that he mentions in verse 6, the life of the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit. So um, uh, that, I hope, will help at least in your mind, uh, organize the the text for you. I said last week that verse 5 is, um, that 5 and 6 were a unit, and verse 5 is a negative statement. Verse 6 is a positive statement. So tonight we get to look at the positive one. But last week, uh, verse 5 has to do with what life was uh, before life in the Spirit. So tonight we turn to the new life that we have. It's the positive side of of the truth of the negative, it's the positive uh, counterpart of the negative side that we saw in verse 5. It's another one of those um, really wonderful statements that give you a definition of what a Christian is. This is definitionally something that's true, not about some group of super saints, but about all Christians. What you find in verse 6 is true about us all. Now, and it begins with, of course, that um, this but now, this is one of Paul uses that quite a bit. He uses it in chapter 6, verse 22. Um, He uses it again in um, in chapter 3, verse 21. The the idea is, this used to be what I was, but now. Uh, You know what a watershed is. A watershed is uh, is where uh, things go one direction and things go the other direction. Well, this is a watershed text. I used to be this, but... Now, I uh, am not that. Um, it's, a, it's an introduction. Those but now words are an introduction to the whole Christian message, ladies and gentlemen. There has to be, there has to be a but now in all of your lives, in all of our lives. I used to be this, but Now, I'm something different. That's what I mean by a watershed. It's it's two little words that separate uh, the life as as an unregenerate man and life as a regenerate man. So so what you get here is this wonderful definition of what is true of all of us as believers. Now, look at it with me. But now, here's the first thing that's true of us. We have been delivered from the law. It's the first thing. Now, uh, there's a couple of things that I want to draw your attention to in that, in that clause. I want you to notice that once again, you see the verbs in the passive voice. Uh, we have been delivered. Now, guys, you just can't jump over those. He does the same thing in uh, uh, verse 4, I believe, uh, that you... Let's see... Um, well, I'll have to look for it. But the, the point is, the action or the activity that was uh, performed that brought us out of one state into another is something that is attributed to someone other than you. Did, did, you, did you see that? That is, it, what, it didn't, you didn't deliver yourself by some uh, massive movement of your will. You have been delivered. Um, and that's 
consistent with the, the entire New Testament, guys. We used to be that, but we're not that any longer. We're this, and we're this because of an action that was performed on us. Not an action that we ourselves took. You have been delivered. That's the difference in a passive and an active verb. And um, as a result, having been delivered, we are now, we've been delivered, we've been loosed. The language that is used in, um, I think it's verse 4, is that we're loosed, that we've been loosed from a dead husband. We have been loosed from a, the law. Well, the, the same thing is going on here in verse 6. We have been delivered from the law. Uh, I am dead to the law. I've been delivered from that. Now, in what ways, guys, am I dead to law? Well, let me mention three. First of all, I am dead to the law in the sense that it will never, ever condemn me. Uh, chapter 8 opens up with this great statement, There is therefore now no condemnation. I am delivered from the law that it will never, ever condemn me in any way. Secondly, I'm delivered from the law in its inability to justify me. That is, um, in some shape or form, all of us were, were all trying our little darndest to justify ourselves by some kind of human performance. But now I've been delivered from that kind of effort to try and justify myself because that is a, a life of law. I have been delivered from such a vain attempt. You know, ladies and gentlemen, boil it all down. And every um, world religion is a religion of law. It is a religion that tells its proponents that you must perform in such a way that you will be rendered acceptable uh, in the sight of the God, uh, whose name varies uh, according to the religion. But, guys, it's all law. It's got different little details from, from here from time to time, but ultimately it is all some kind of program by which you and I uh, perform well enough that we become acceptable in the sight of the deity. Only Christianity delivers us from that. That is the distinction of the Christian faith, ladies and gentlemen. All the, you can lump the, all of them in the same category because they've all appealed to their followers to perform in such a way that would make them uh, approvable. Christianity delivers you from the inability of the law to justify you. But it also delivers you, or you're delivered from, the inability of the law to sanctify you. And we're going to talk about that. You might want to store that away. But um, before I was delivered, I was held captive by a law, a law which would not allow me to be either justified or sanctified. Um, but now, having been delivered, there's hope for me. But until I, I become a Christian, ladies and gentlemen, I'm still under the bondage of law. And we, as we saw um, in verse 5, living under the law is not going to produce uh, sanctification. All the law does is arouse uh, the passions that are already within me. Now, so, But now, here's what's true of us. We have been delivered from that. Having died to what we were held by, that is, the law. The, the law held us. Now, and notice in this so that... Um, clause. This is a purpose clause. What was the purpose of our being delivered? So that we should serve. 
Um, that's the object of having been delivered, ladies and gentlemen, is that you and I have been delivered to serve. Um, if I could use another word just, uh, just to kind of broaden the discussion, we have been delivered from the law so that we can uh, experience holiness so that we can uh, uh, begin the process of sanctification in our in our lives. Uh, salvation, ladies and gentlemen, is from sin to a life of service, a life of sanctification, a life of conformity to Christ. It's it's I've been delivered from that to this. So for anyone to suggest that the preaching of grace undermines morality, like is suggested in chapter 6, verse 1, is utter foolishness. The, the very purpose for which I was delivered was that I might serve the God who delivered me. Um, guys, grace doesn't undermine morality. It establishes the only possibility of living morally. Um, I, our service is to be fueled, if you'll notice, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit. That is, our service is fueled by this newness. We have a new principle within us, and that is what gives us the possibility and the prospect of uh, a, a service that is pleasing to God. It is the service uh, not of a slave, it's the service of a son. Um, and, and you will see that the, as, it descri- as Paul describes our purpose, the purpose of our being delivered, how ludicrous it would be to suggest that we could live a completely unchanged life. The very object of delivering you from a life of law into a newness of the Spirit is so that you can serve. Um, now, gang, if you're really, really concerned about morality... If all of these political hot buttons are uh, uh, really turn your crank, you know, uh, I have wonderful friends who um, who love to listen to things like uh, Rush Limbaugh until Rush had his little problem. Um, and, and I've never been one of those. I've never been able to watch or listen to, to Rush Limbaugh, and, and I'm not denouncing it by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, Dr. Laura, all those, she's kind of fell on bedtimes too, but uh, all those things that, that are pleading against morality or immorality. I'm against the same things, ladies and gentlemen. But if you're really serious about overturning immorality, then for heaven's sakes, preach the gospel. Because that's the thing that gives us any smidgen of hope that there will be morality. Because if you're preaching morality to somebody living under the law, all you're doing is arousing the sinful passions, we're told in verse 5. That ain't going to help us. If we ever hope to see moral reform, it's going to come on the heels of a proclamation of a gospel of grace. That's how we're going to alter an immoral culture. Because as long as you're under law, You'll just sin more. And by the way, I, I'm, I'm, I made this point last week. It's in verse 5. Sinful passions which were aroused by the law. The law will incite. It will inflame your sinful passions. So the only hope of any victory over that is to be delivered from the life under law into this other life. And that comes by the proclamation of the gospel. 
So you're you're a you're a, uh, a conservative Republican. I'm happy for you, but that ain't going to do us much good. Um, what's going to do us much good is a proclamation of the gospel. That's what's going to change men. Now, so um, that's the grand object of this deliverance. That being that we were um, so that we should serve. Now, from here on, Paul makes very clear the vast difference between what kind of service we offer now as opposed to the kind of service that we offered heretofore. Notice, the service now is a service in the newness of the Spirit versus a service that previously was done in the oldness of the letter. Now, the, the, the service that the gospel has in view is a service, it's a, it's a sanctification, it's a pursuit of holiness that is done in the newness of the Spirit. The Christian life, ladies and gentlemen, is entirely new. An entirely new life made possible by the work of God the Holy Spirit within us. We have a new principle of life within us. Having been delivered from that old marriage under law, we are now in a new life made possible, empowered um, by newness, this, the life of the Holy Spirit. The Christian life is the life in the Holy Spirit. The whole of the Christian life is life in the Holy Spirit. The law and, and any attempt to base life on law, far from helping me to live a godly life, it does nothing but actually become a hindrance. Now, did you get that, ladies and gentlemen? One of the reasons that you ought to oppose and hate legalism is because, ladies and gentlemen, any attempt to live life based on law only, far from helping to produce a godly life, it doesn't produce that. It, it becomes a hindrance to a godly life. <clears throat> now, guys, having said all that, I want to I want to read you something. And it's um I think it's a it's a it's a stroke of genius. It comes from a John Stott book entitled Men Made New. And every sentence in it is important. And so I'm going to kind of add commentary as I go. But guys, I have just said to you. I just said to you that any attempt to base my Christian life on law, far from helping, serves as a hindrance. Now, you can understand why he has to write the next uh, 7 through 25, because what has Paul said, what has Paul just said about the law? That's going to create all kinds of problems for his audience. We'll get to that later. But I have just said, that in the attempt to live out, to flesh out one's Christian service based on law is not going to help, it's going to hurt. Now, here's, here's what John Stott, this, this, it's a paragraph, and I want to read, you to read it to you and just pause as we go. So, I just, let me say that again. I just said, any life 
that, is, uh, that seeks to live based on law only is not going to help you. It's going to hurt you. Stott says, is the law still binding on Christians? That's a pretty germane question, wouldn't you say? I just said this sweeping statement about, don't try to do it this way. So, what has Jimmy Young done? Has he said, you know, don't ever go to Exodus 20 again? Stay out of your Old Testaments? Just be a New Testament Christian? Oh my goodness, don't ever hear me say that. But, but anyway, uh, Stott says, okay, is the law still binding on Christians? The answer to that, says Stott, is no and yes. Of course, he, we can't say it yes and no. He's got to say it no and yes. The answer to that question is, is it still binding? No and yes. Or, stated with southern colloquialisms, yes or no. Yes and no. That is, is the law still binding? Yes and no. It is not still binding in the sense that our acceptance before God does not depend on it. That is, it is not binding to try and make you in any way acceptable before God. Okay, thanks, John. Christ in his death fully met the demands of the law, so we are delivered from it as a means of salvation. It is no longer, it no longer has any claims on us to condemn us for sin. It is no longer our Lord. Okay? So is the law still binding? No, in that sense. You got that? That's pretty clear. Now, yes. Yes, it is binding in this sense. We still serve, says Dot. But the motive and the means of our service have altered. Why do we serve? Not because the law is our master, and we have to, but because Christ is our husband and we want to. Not because obedience to the law leads to salvation. Listen. But because salvation leads to obedience to the law. Let me read that sentence again. Kind of tricky. Not because obedience to the law leads to salvation. That's backwards. But because salvation leads to obedience to the law. The law says, do this and you will live. The gospel says, you live, so do this. How do we serve? Not in oldness of letter, but in the newness of spirit. That is, not by an obedience to an external code, but by surrender to an indwelling spirit. Now, I, I hope that is far clearer than the way I say things, but... Um, is the law still binding on the Christian? Yes and no. Um, it's binding in the sense that I still serve. But my motive and the means of my service have changed. Now, guys, I want to show you something that is very dear to me. I, I showed this to my wife the other night. So if you've got your Bibles and you're still awake, um, uh, go, to, go to Deuteronomy 14. I want to show you two or three passages in the book of Deuteronomy. Now, by the way, um, where is the law found? Ten Commandments, where is it found? Mm. Very good, Mrs. Covey, that's very wonderful. Exodus chapter 20, that's certainly true. Um, Exodus chapter 20. What 
is the book of Deuteronomy all about? What does the word Deuteronomy mean? Second law. That is, the second appearance of the law appears in the book of Deuteronomy. It's either in chapter 4 or chapter 6. So the Ten Commandments are found two places. Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 4 or 6. Yeah, I'll let you find it. So my point is, this is a great book of law. And um, has led to a good deal of confusion, particularly in Judaism. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't see how it could get any plainer than it is in the book of Deuteronomy. In chapter 14. Deuteronomy 14. Verse 1. You are the children of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves nor shave the front of your head for the dead. Now here's the verse I want you to use. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself. A special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Stay with me. Look at verse 3. You shall not. And this whole, the next several chapters are all about what you shouldn't do and what you should do. What you should eat, what you shouldn't eat, what, how you should shave, how you shouldn't shave. All this law. But notice, ladies and gentlemen, how it opens. You are a special treasure. And as such, for heaven's sakes, go obey me. Not, if you want to be a special treasure, you need to obey me. Did you hear what Stott said? He said, the gospel, no, the law says, do this and you will live. The gospel says, you live. So do this. Gang. You know, when, when I read this, the, the, the mental picture that came to my mind was some of these contests, you know, where you, you, where you, you fill out the little forms, and, you, and if they pick your name, you get to do something. You know, you get to, you get to try your key in the box that you get to win a car. Or, you know, all these little contests. You know, you got picked... And as a result of you getting picked, you get to do something very special. Ladies and gentlemen, did you see the language of this text? It says, you are a holy people to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you. You hit the jackpot. You're one of them. So much so that you are identified and defined and named a special treasure. You know, gang, this is the way I like to say it. All obedience is from joy. All obedience is from joy. What joy? It's a joy to celebrate that I am a special treasure. I'm not obeying in any way to try and enhance my position, my worth, my value, or my standing. I've already all, I've got it all. Now, as a special treasure, you know what privilege I get? I get the special privilege of obedience. 
when I lived under law, ha, uh, I might have had, uh, I might have seen it, but I couldn't do it. But now I've been delivered. I've been delivered to an entirely new life, and now there is hope for me to live a godly life. Obedience is from the celebration of being a special treasure. Guys, this is all over the book of Deuteronomy. Let me show you one more place. Go to Deuteronomy 26. I've got to find it. Um, okay. Um, first of all, this is 26. Actually, um, let, me re- let me show you two places. This is 26. Um, let's start at verse 16. This day the Lord your God commands you to observe these statutes and judgments. Therefore, you shall observe without that, 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 you today you proclaim the Lord your God. Now look at verse 18. And today, the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people, just as he promised you that you should keep all his commandments. Do you know what people keep all of his commandments? It's those special people. Obedience is simply their celebration for being identified as one of those special people. I get the privilege of obedience! Hot dog! Let's go out and celebrate that now I have the chance to obey! I didn't have that chance before I was delivered. But I got it now. You know why? Because I'm a special treasure. Ladies and gentlemen, if I could somehow inculcate that within the minds and the hearts of the people of God, it would, it would revolutionize our whole Christian, our whole service. Because that's the goal of salvation. It, it, back to Romans 7, verse 6. The object is our service. You, you want to know the... Yeah, I, I'm, I've been saved to serve, and my motive and my means are all different now. Let me show you one more. This is in chapter 27, Deuteronomy 27. I don't know how you can miss this. This doesn't take a massive intellect, obviously. This doesn't take a seminary degree. Verse 9 and 10 of chapter 27. Then Moses uh, and the priests, the Levites, spoke to all Israel, saying, Take heed and listen, O Israel. Okay, this day you have become the people of the Lord your God. Therefore, you shall obey. That's not the other way around. Therefore, you shall obey. And if you do, you'll become the people of God. You're already it. Very honestly, ladies and gentlemen, nobody, Nobody can obey until they've been delivered, as we see in Romans 7. This is true of all of us, guys, not just a select few. All of us have been delivered, uh, having died to the law, uh, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of life. Excuse me. In the news of the Spirit. I, I love that, ladies and gentlemen. My obedience is not... Is not it's, a, it's an obedience that flows out of the grand celebration that's going on among us. Yay! You special treasure, you. You know, um, before we were delivered in, in some way, in some shape, in some form, in some fashion, we were all trying to do enough so that 
when we stood before God, He would weigh everything that we did and say, okay, as a result of all of this wonderful performance, I declare you, come on in. Here's the verdict for you, Jimmy Young, after all those 84 years of faithful serving me. All right, here's your verdict. You get to come in. And so we spend all of our lives striving for the verdict, hoping that at the end, the verdict will be one that's pleasing to us. safe. Now we have the, uh, the privilege of going out to obey. <laughs> Let me do a couple other quick things in six minutes and, and, I, and I'll finish. But one of the things that this text does is contrast very clearly the, 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 the new life and the old one. You'll notice in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Now, guys, just a couple of those differences that I want you to see in terms of the life um, under the law as compared to the life in the Spirit. First of all, the, 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 the one that I want to mention is that one was external and this one is internal. That is, the life in the Spirit is the life of internal, internalities. The life in the law is the life of externalities. Let me read you this statement. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh. Tablets of flesh. That is, of the heart. Gang, I would say to you that the primary distinction between what you find in the Old Covenant and the New is the difference between internal and external. All that law, the old law, was outside, written on stones, visible to the eye. Not anymore. Uh, by the way, not, not the, it still exists outside. But the, uh, the power for it is something on the inside. The standards for the Christian are on the inside, not the outside. Ought to change the way you do parenting. My friends, if you think that um, conforming your children's uh, um, settings or circumstances to some kind of legal prescription that you've decided is good for them, and you think that's going to produce what you want, you've got you another thought coming, ladies and gentlemen, because ultimately morality is something that's inscribed on the inside, not the out. If there is no principle within, forget it. They'll find a way, and so will you. So will we. We'll find a way to gratify the flesh, um, whether it's secretive, with a, just me and a computer, or something that's written on the heart. Guys, that's the message of Ezekiel 36. You know, it says, I'll exchange the heart of flesh, the heart of stone for a heart of flesh, and I will inscribe my, the tablets of my law on that, that fleshly heart. Guys, that's, that's one of the primary differences between that life and this one. That was external, and this one's internal. The standards for us are inscribed on the inside. And because they are, I also, as I said earlier, have a new principle of life within me. I can obey. I can. Now, I don't all the time. But I can. I couldn't as a pagan. But I can now. And then secondly... 
we live this new life entirely. We live it from an entirely new spirit. Guys, uh, before it was fear of hell. Now it's love or gratitude. Or John Piper talks about um, um, future grace. But the motive is all different now. Um, speaking of motive, now we're concerned not only with the act. We're concerned about the act and the motive for the act. It's not enough to do right. Because we've got to do right for the right reasons. You know, I, I love to tell this story. I've told it a dozen times, but I, I told you about the time I was flying on the airplane and sitting next to the guy and I didn't have a paper and... and um, uh, I was just, you know, I love to read, and I read all the time, but I didn't have a book. And then this guy was sitting across the aisle, and he had a ES, uh, USA Today. And, and the beast should have offered me a portion of it, but he didn't. And so he's just reading and having a good time. I mean, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so finally, uh, he's splitting the pages, and he turns his page over. And on the back of one section, I don't know which section it was. This is a full page ad, full page ad on the back of one of those sections. And it said this, honesty is the best policy. And at the bottom it said, it's also the most profitable. Why is the non-Christian businessman honest? Because it's profitable. I mean, you don't want to get found out, you know, stealing from your girlfriend. But guys, it's not only right to be honest. The act is not the only thing that matters for this new life. The motive is important. Um, another comparison is that the old life was one of bondage. This one is one of freedom. You have heard me again and again and again talk about how much I love Christian liberty and how much one of the few things that I would fight over for you is your Christian liberty. I am not going to let somebody come in here, sneak in unawares, says uh, the book of Galatians, and spy out our freedom so they can take it from us. No, that's bondage. And I do not see how people set free in the Spirit can live under that. I, for the life of me, I cannot see how people can insist on how I live externally. When the whole life that I've been delivered unto is one that's internal. I have one Lord, and it ain't you. And I ain't yours either. But uh, if I can simply be loyal to him, we'll all be fine. And that's what you've heard from me for 12 years, almost 13. Emulation of Christ in the power of the Spirit. That's our ethic, ladies and gentlemen. Just go emulate Jesus in the power of the Spirit. We'll be fine. You're going to choose this? Fine. That's fine. You just emulate Jesus. We'll be fine. And then finally, um, one other distinction is... The life of the law is something that's grinding it out in the flesh. The life of the Spirit is, is based on a new power that's from within. Let me, um, let, me make a, uh, let me leave you. Actually, we won't return to this until early January, but I'll leave you with this very bummer of a note. I, I gave you a, I mean, I, well, I'll tell you what. I'll go back to a positive note before I quit, but let me, let me put this bummer of a note, and then I'll, I'll leave you with something positive. But, I'm convinced, ladies and gentlemen, that in the Christian church, in evangelicalism today, much of what we see that is called Christian service ain't. 
I'm convinced that much of what we see that is called Christian service is some kind of carnal conformity to law. A law that the church decided on, or the law that you decided on, or Rush Limbaugh, or somebody decided. It's a carnal conformity to law that is attained, empowered, and influenced only out of a, some kind of fear of punishment. And the, and the driving force behind it is a, is a pride and self-righteousness. And the thing that enables it is a trust in the arm of the flesh. But it goes under the title. Christian service. Because it conforms to you know, all the stuff that we say you're supposed to do. Ladies and gentlemen, rid yourself of that for heaven's sakes. You want a morality? You want an ethic? Go live like Jesus, knowing that that will only be performed in the power of the Spirit. Then we're free. I'll leave you with this. You're a special treasure. I didn't say that. Your heavenly Father called you a special treasure. Now, let's go out and act like one. Let's go. Our Father, I do pray that um, you will set folks free from a, a fear of punishment, a fear of condemnation that is no longer true about those of us who have been born of the Spirit. We're free from the lost condemnation. We're free from its inability to justify. We are free from its inability to sanctify us. Oh God, give us a deep, rich enjoyment of knowing that we're your people. We're, we're eternally safe now, working from that kind of celebration and security. We leave here to go serve you anew in the newness and the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and good night.